All right, so we're going to finish Luke chapter 23. And yes, JB, we are still in Luke. You wondered that, did you? So we got one more chapter left, so we'll be done here pretty soon. So Luke chapter 23. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, we're going to try to finish the chapter 40, 48 to 56. And uh, we're going to look at um, uh, the final witness. If you remember, we talked about the witness of the scriptures. We talked about the centurion. And now we're going to look at the people. We're going to look at the people. So Luke 23:48. Uh, it says here, and now when this, uh, no, no, back up. And all the people that came together to that site, uh, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, uh, beholding these things. So, you know, when do you remember when Jesus, uh, what Jesus said uh, when he was still alive and he was teaching his disciples what he said about himself? That he said, um, suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you nay, but, but rather division. That's back there in Luke 12:51. Well, what we see here is that division. Uh, we see the people that came together to that site, and then we see his acquaintances and the women that followed him. So we see that we see that division right here in these these uh, two verses. Uh, we see those who came to see Jesus die, the scorners, the haters, and other folks uh, mixed in there in that crowd. And then we've got uh, those who are his acquaintance. And if you remember, as we went to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, there was a division among the people. They didn't quite know how to think of Jesus. They didn't quite know what to make of this man who who showed up. Uh, John 7:43 talks about this division among the people. They were questioning, wondering, you know, who is who is this guy? And honestly, if you stop and think about it, it's really true, isn't it? It really is true. Jesus does cause division. He does cause division. His, his mission, his words, his death on the cross, uh, it brings division between uh, believers and unbelievers. You know, you, you try to witness to somebody about Jesus who's not a believer, and they've got all sorts of reasons why, you know, well, I think it's ridiculous, I think it's stupid, I think you're a fool for believing that. Uh, there's even division in the churches about Jesus. You know, you've got one group that says this about Jesus, you've got another group that says that about Jesus. So definitely what uh, Jesus said about himself certainly certainly has um, come about just as he said. Uh, one pastor in his in a sermon um, wrote this. He says, The very mention of Jesus' name uh, sundered ancient Judaism, uh, giving his words exquisite fulfillment. He said, During the first 400 years of the Roman Empire, his name could land one in jail or worse. Uh, To the world religions, uh, the name of Jesus has been harsh and invasive. And that's one of the complaints that you hear about you know, Christian missionaries going into different uh, societies and cultures. He says, during the last 70 years, allegiance to Jesus uh, can land you in a Chinese prison. Uh, Islam is at war with Christ of the scriptures. Uh, He says, just ask any Islamic convert who's come to Christ. It divides families. It divides uh, society. And then he says, even the American media are generally hostile 
uh, to personal references to Jesus Christ. And that is so true. I mean, that is so true. Uh, The cross of Jesus Christ does uh, divide. Uh, You're either for him or you're against him. Uh, Quite frankly, you're either faithful or you're not faithful. You're you're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. A lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people have issues with that. Uh, You either have eternal life or you face the second death. So definitely the cross of Jesus Christ is the great dividing point of all humanity. It just is. It's a great dividing point of all all humanity, much to the chagrin of the world. Um, this division is very, very clear. So that's what we see here in these two verses. We see this division. We see those who are against, and we see those who are, are for Jesus. And is it really that black and white? And yes, it is. It really is. I don't care how you try to gray in the middle area. It really is that black and white. So let's look here at the first group of people and uh, notice their response. It says here in verse 48, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. So these are folks who came together uh, to that site. Now, who are these folks? Who are these folks? Well, naturally, it's the folks who scorned Jesus. It's the folks who berated Jesus. It's the folks who, you know, mocked him while he was hanging there on that cross in agony. Luke 23:35, And the people, again, the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. So you've got that crowd. You've got that group in these, in this, with these people. And then you also have the curious, don't you? You always have the curious folks. The folks who like to show up to accidents and train wrecks and things like that. They're just curious, you know. Uh, this man, Jesus, was famous in the land of, of uh, Palestine. Everybody talked about Jesus. Everybody had an opinion about who this Jesus was. And now here this, this famous individual, this man, Jesus, was being crucified. And quite frankly, in the minds of some, they wouldn't miss this show for the world. They wouldn't miss this show for the world. We kind of live in a society like that, don't we? We live in a society that seems to be transfixed on the sensational and, and the morbid. Uh, kind of like uh, the, uh, all of life is kind of like a Jerry Springer <laughs> stage show, you know? It's just, it just, it's just incredible what people uh, watch and, and become in, involved in to entertain them. I mean, if you stop and think about it, we're, you know, we're surrounded by upheaval. We're surrounded by violence. And honestly, thanks to television and and YouTube and all other things, you know, you can get online or you can turn on your television and you can be a spectator of all sorts of chaos and mayhem and and violence. You know, there's programming that, that is based on that. And you can sit there in the comfort of your own home. (laughs) <laughs> right? And be a spectator to who knows how many murders and how much corruption and stuff like that. My goodness, even on your phone. Even on your phone. So we live in a society uh, that uh, is just, you know, just privy to such things. Also, there may be among this group um, sympathizers. Uh, you know, they they really don't know what to think about Jesus. They know he was a great man. They know he performed miracles. They'll, they'll even go as far as admit that he's a prophet. 
And they may be sympathetic or empathetic. You know, this guy didn't deserve this. There may be those in that crowd as well. He didn't deserve this kind of treatment. So you, you, so you have the ones who hate him. You've got the ones who are curious about him. And then you might have those who are sympathetic uh, to Jesus. But notice here uh, the reaction of all of these people, the haters, the curious, and the sympathizers. Notice what did they do here? What was the physical action that they did here? They smote their breasts, didn't they? They smote their breast. What does it mean when somebody smotes their breast? Well, we're given an example of it right here in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. You remember the publican and the Pharisee? The publican standing off in verse 13, Luke 18, standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. So to smote upon one's breast is to recognize one's guilt or one's fault or one's shortcoming. It's an actual, it's an outward indication of an inward self-condemnation. It's an outward indication of an inward self-condemnation. Kind of like today when some people get caught, you know, they what do they do? They'll... They'll do something like that, or they'll look away. What is that an indication of? Yeah, shame. Shame. In Luke 53.3, prophesying about the Lord, he says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Shame. Shame. They hid, as it were, our faces from him. They couldn't look anymore. They couldn't look anymore because of, because of shame. They felt guilty. That's why they smote their breast. They felt guilty. Yes, ma'am. Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah 53.3. Um, even Moses. Even Moses in Exodus 3.6 he says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. Why? For he was afraid to look upon God. Now, why do you think Moses, the great lawgiver, was afraid and hid his face? You remember what Joseph, Moses did and why he had to run away from Egypt? He killed that man, didn't he? He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was standing in the presence of a holy God. So he hid his face. He hid his face. You know, people today, they don't have any reverence or fear of God anymore, do they? It doesn't seem like they do. And they don't think twice about blaspheming God or being disrespectful for God or any of the things of God. There's almost like there's no more shame in our society. There's a lot of shaming going on. But there doesn't seem to be any shame in our society anymore. Just doesn't seem to be. So the publican, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven for shame, for his guilt, for a holy God. And I believe what these people saw after everything was said and done, I think they felt shame. I think they felt guilt. Why else would they smote their breast and leave? Even the haters, 
Even the haters, I believe, felt shame and guilt for their part in this. You know, I, I always chuckle whenever I hear a, a celebrity or, or some, you know, some self-important person say, uh, if there is a God and when I die, I'm just going to give God a piece of my mind and let him know how bad he's messed up. Really? I don't think so. Romans 3.19 says, And now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. I guarantee it, when those folks stand before a holy God, they're not going to say a thing. They're not going to say a thing. Because they're going to be flooded with their own guilt and their own shame. Their own guilt and their own shame. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Everyone. Jeremiah 31.19. Jeremiah writes, and of course he's dealing with some pretty rebellious, stiff-necked folks in his time. And this is Jeremiah writing. He says, Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. Very similar to smoting upon one's breast. Or hiding one's face in shame. It's still a, a, you know, an outward sign of, of inward self-condemnation. He says, I was ashamed, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. I was ashamed. That means to uh, be ashamed, to be thrown off balance. To be thrown off balance. You ever caught or been caught in a misdeed? And you're ashamed, and you're asked to answer for yourself. I remember there was a gentleman on my job site one time who told a lie about me. And I confronted him about that lie, and I asked him to explain himself. You know what the response was that I got from him? He was stuttering because he was thrown off balance. He was ashamed. He was ashamed. Even confounded. That means to be embarrassed, disgraced, or humiliated. You know, these folks that Isaiah talked about some 800 years earlier, I believe they couldn't even look at the cross anymore. They were so ashamed. I believe they couldn't even look at Jesus anymore. They were so embarrassed. Confusion had taken hold of them. They, didn't, they were like my friend on the job site. They were stuttering. They didn't know how to answer for what they were doing. One time they were so confident, and now I don't think so much. Not so much. You know one thing I don't read in the Gospels? I don't read anywhere in the Gospels where somebody says, Good, he got what he deserved, the dirty liar and blasphemer. I don't read that anywhere. I don't read that anywhere. What did they do? Well, they tried to cover it up, didn't they? You remember the, 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 the high priest and the chief priest, they, they tried to bribe the soldiers. Matthew twenty-eight thirteen, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we shall persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. What is that a sign of when somebody is generally trying to cover up something? 
We see our politicians do it all the time. What is that a sign of? Yeah, they're up to some nefarious deeds. <laughs> right? They're trying to cover up their misdeeds. And what's that an indication of? Guilt. Guilt. They were guilty. They knew it. They knew it. Jeremiah says, I did bear the reproach. That means to bear the disgrace. That means to carry the guilt. Be held accountable for the wrong. You know, really, in verse 23, what a picture we have of Israel, even today. Even today. Jeremiah 24, 9 says, And I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt to be a reproach and a proverb. Israel today is still a reproach and a proverb in the world today. It still is. They've been a reproach and a proverb since Nebuchadnezzar came and and destroyed Jerusalem because of their rebellious attitude. In fact, uh, Jesus even talked about this in Luke 21, 24, where he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's because of the indignation that God has toward his people because of their stiff-necked, rebellious ways and their rejection of his word and rejection of his revelation. And now, because of their rejection of the Messiah, because of their rejection of the Messiah, they just add to their reproach. Now that sounds harsh, but that's, that's biblical. That's, that's just biblical. That's what's going on. Psalm 79.4 says, We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. And that is so true. That is so true. Would you say that Israel is a beloved nation in, in the world today? No, it's not. No, it's not. In fact, uh, the last time I checked with the United Nations, out of... Out of I don't know how many hundreds how many hundreds of nations is in the United Nations, but there's only about 18 nations that call themselves friends of Israel, and the United States used to be one of those nations. I don't think it is so much anymore. It's not under this current administration, so they are a reproach. They are a reproach. And it's because of this great indignation that God has upon his people. Daniel talked about in Daniel 8.19. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. And we're coming to that time when God's indignation towards Israel will run its course. Now what do we call that? We call that the tribulation period. That's that 70th week of Daniel when God's indignation will be finally dealt with in regards to his chosen people, the the Israelites. I mean, you read through the prophets, and what 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 is one of the common themes of the prophets toward the people of Israel? Repent. Exactly. Repent. Turn back to me. Why are you being so stiff-necked? Repent. And they will repent. They will repent. According to Zechariah chapter 12, 9 through 11, 
when things look really, really dark for the nation of Israel during the tribulation period, they're going to call upon him whom they have pierced. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come down from heaven. Revelations, what is it, 19? Defeat the Antichrist and deliver his people. That's the cliff notes of all of that. But that's what's going to happen. According to Romans 11.26, So all Israel shall be saved. There shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So they will be saved. But for now, for now they bear their reproach. Also notice what these folks did. They returned. They came to see a show and left with our hearts full of woe. Now, I can't claim that. I don't remember where I read that. But I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. They came to see a show and left it with their hearts full of woe. Again, Jeremiah 31:19 says, Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. One day, Israel will turn. Israel will repent. And Israel will come into a saving knowledge of their Messiah. But for now, they suffer their reproach. They suffer their reproach. Then we have the second group. Luke 23, 49, And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. Acquaintance and women. Acquaintance and women. Now, um, what is an acquaintance? What is an acquaintance? An acquaintance uh, means uh, those who knew Jesus and Jesus knew them. That's what it is. They knew Jesus and Jesus, and Jesus knew them. Uh, we read about this very same thing, this knowing, being acquainted with in John's Gospel, in John eighteen fifteen. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. That phrase, was known, is the very same word acquaintance here in Luke. So John was known to the high priest or to the high priest's household. That's why he was allowed inside when Jesus was being tried by the high priest. He was an acquaintance. He was known. Luke 2.44 But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Again, they knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. He knew their families, and they knew his family. Acquaintances. They knew him. Remember, Jesus had disciples other than the twelve, didn't he? I mean, he sent out 70 that one time. He was always being followed by a multitude. Always being followed by a multitude. There's a lot of people who knew Jesus and Jesus knew them. When they were waiting for the coming of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 1, how many were there gathered? It says 120. 120. Now, I don't know if there were 120 that day on Calvary, but there were folks there who knew Jesus and Jesus knew them. Okay? So there were folks there who knew Jesus. It could have been some of the lepers he healed. It could have been some of the lame he healed. It may have even been some of the demon-possessed that he freed. Folks who knew Jesus. Folks who knew Jesus. 
And then we have mention of these women who had followed him from Galilee. You know, Luke introduced us to these women back here in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 2 and 3. Uh, Women such as um, Mary called Magdalene. She was uh, delivered from seven devils. Uh, A gal by the name of Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Herod's steward. Another gal by the name of Susanna. There's all sorts of women that were there at the cross where Jesus was. Uh, these same women, later on we'll see in Luke 23, 55, these same women would follow Joseph and Nicodemus to see where they were going to put Jesus' body. So these women uh, were there also gathered along with the acquaintances. Now, <laughs> I've read a lot and I've heard a lot, but there's been much ado made about these women being present while the men were not there. You guys probably heard the same thing. You know, the women were there, but where were the men? Where were the apostles? Where were these guys at? Well, first of all, John was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and then among the acquaintances, don't you think there were a few guys scattered in that group? I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was. Now, this is what I kind of take issue with. (laughs) Maybe it's just because I'm a guy. But what I take issue with is I've heard some folks preach the superiority of one gender over another because the women were there, but the men couldn't be found. So obviously that makes the woman more superior than the man. I've heard that preached. I've heard that preached. Honestly, what we're seeing here is we're seeing women behaving as women behave and men behaving as men behave. That's all we're seeing. We're just seeing a difference in how they're hardwired and how God designed them. And regardless of the false narrative of the day, there is a difference between men and women. And more than just physical difference. There's a difference. Men are all about achieving results, action, getting things accomplished. Now, do you think these men loved Jesus? Yes, they did. They loved Jesus. They were loyal to Jesus. But when Jesus died, so also their sense of purpose and motivation and identity. Mark 14:27 says, "All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered." You see, they followed Jesus believing he was the Christ, the promised king. They followed Jesus because they were told that they were going to be a part of his kingdom. And now their leader is dead. And that connection has been temporarily They didn't know this, but that connection has been temporarily severed in their minds and in their hearts. They were without a leader. They were without a head, and so they felt lost and empty and uncertain. That's a guy. That's a guy. Now, women, they operate on a different wavelength altogether. Women value... Love and communication, 
companionships, relationships. They're all about nurturing and helping and being supportive, intuitive. I saw this yesterday in my own home when my daughter and my wife were talking about our the new human that is a relative of mine. <laughs> And how she liked this and how she liked that. Do guys pick up on things like that? I wouldn't know why she was crying, but somehow you gals know why they're crying. You know? But that's the way you are made, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. So these women were not behaving in any way out of the norm. Because their connection to Jesus was relational. It was nurturing. It was a a communion with Jesus. So naturally they would be there when he died on the cross. Totally natural. Totally normal. And the differences are just that. Differences. It doesn't make the gals more strong in their faith than the guys. It's just the difference between the women and the men. That's all it is. It's just the difference. God made us that way. And when these two man and woman come together, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, what a great team that makes. Isn't it? That's what happened on Pentecost. Right? What happened on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down? Who stepped forth to take the lead? The guys. Peter. They they stepped forth. They were again fulfilling their role that God had designed them for. Do you know who makes the divisions? The world. It's the world. And it's perverse thinking and it's perverse philosophy. That's what's causing the divisions. That's what's trying to mess up the design. It's the world. It says here that they stood afar off. They stood afar off. The phrase stood afar off occurs in other places in the Bible. Exodus 2, 4, and his his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. This is Miriam. Remember when uh, Moses' parents, to try to save his life, put him in that little basket, set him afloat? Well, Miriam stood afar off to see what would happen to her little brother. Exodus 20:18 uh, the people around uh, Mount Sion when they saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking it says that the people stood far off because Moses was up there receiving the commandments from God so they stood afar off In Luke 17:12 it talks about the the, uh, the lepers, the ten lepers that were in the village, and they lifted up their voice, and they stood afar off, crying, Master, have mercy on us. What we see here are the people who stood afar off at a certain distance, 
waiting with anticipation. Waiting with anticipation to see what would happen next. Remember what they'd witnessed, the darkness, the earthquakes, all that went on. I think these folks were kind of in a a state of bewilderment. What's going to happen next? What do we do now? What can we do now? They stood afar off in expectation. Expectation. And I guarantee you the gals were thinking this. What about his body? What about his body? Who's going to take care of his body? Because the custom with the Romans in situations like this, you know what they did with the bodies? They drug them off to the local dump and pitched them. And pitched them. And so you know these gals were thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the body? What are we going to do about the body? Now remember the acquaintances standing there with the women? Now this is just my opinion. So you can take it with a grain of salt. But you know who I think was standing there among that group? A man by the name of uh, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Now that's just my opinion. But I think Joseph of Arimathea was standing there in that group. And when Joseph and when and when Jesus gave up the ghost, I don't think Joseph let much time go before he was hoofing it to see Pilate about the body. In Luke 23:50, it says, Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone where never man before was laid. And that day was a preparation and the Sabbath drew on and the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. So as they stood afar off in anticipation, you know, What's going to happen next? What can we do? This man, by the name of Joseph, went into action, didn't he? He went into action. And Luke refers to Joseph as being a counselor. Now, a counselor is equivalent to a kind of like a senator. He would be a member of this Sanhedrin party. He would be a member of this Sanhedrin party. The same religious leadership that condemned Jesus. And it says here that, according to Luke, that Joseph didn't go along with what this group of men was doing. He was a dissenter. He didn't agree with it. He may have even spoke up. Probably got shouted down. Probably got silenced. We're seeing it today in our own Senate and Congress. We've got men and women who are standing up, speaking out against what's going on, but what's happening? They're being silenced. 
They're being shut up. You're not hearing about what they're saying. That may have been what happened with this guy. I don't know. But it may have been. But Luke records here that he didn't, he didn't go along with this. He saw the injustice of all this. He didn't go along with this. He was a dissenter. Kind of like Nicodemus was put in his place back there in John chapter 7. When he brought, do we, do we condemn a man without first, you know, and they more or less told him to shut up. Now both Mark and Luke mentioned that Joseph was a good and honorable man. And I think what he did here proved that. I think what he did here proved that. He was a good man. And notice also where the chief priests would not enter into Pilate's residence. And why is that? Because they didn't want to become unclean. Therefore, that would disqualify them from, you know, being partakers. It didn't matter if they were murderers and unjust, right? And gave false witness towards Christ. The only thing they were they were caring about is they didn't want to be unclean coming into the presence of a Gentile. So therefore, they wouldn't be able to observe the Passover. You know, sometimes principle must override pretense. And that's what Joseph did. Joseph didn't even think about that. He went right into the presence of Pilate. Which, yeah, ceremonially made him unclean in the eyes of of his peers. But he went to Pilate personally to beg for the body of Jesus. Luke 19 tells us that he was joined by Nicodemus. And both of these men took care of the body of Jesus. I don't know who said this, but a preacher once preached that Jesus was born in a virgin's womb and then buried in a virgin tomb. There was no tomb, you know, when Joseph made that tomb, it was his tomb. Nobody else had laid in that tomb. Now again, I've read and heard sermons um, that really kind of give Joseph a hard time. And they really like to hammer about the secret believers or the timid believers. And how we all should be bold and not timid. And they also present it as though the timid person is somehow a second class Christian. You know what? God made you just the way you are. Some of us are bold and some of us are timid. That's just the way we're made. And God can use anybody submitted to him. Anybody. Whether you're bold or whether you're timid. And what about the loud and boastful Peters? (laughs) Where was Peter? Right? Where was Peter? Okay. I'm going to be walking on thin ice. (laughs) Here it comes. Foot in mouth. And I know you guys have seen him or been around him. But there are some believers who are very loud, very obnoxious, 
very in your face Uh, so much so they're a nuisance so much so that they're a nuisance okay here I go I'm going out further out in the thin ice you know they wear the big old t-shirts they plaster their cars with the bumper stickers they're loud and obnoxious at work at home at church but you know, what, you know what I've noticed with some of these folks? When it comes to persecution, when they really face persecution, or when it comes to them having to die to self, or when trials come in their life, all of a sudden, all of that Loudness and bragging and it goes away. It goes away. And they wonder, what's going on? What's going on? You know, God can use anybody. As long as you're filled with the Spirit and obedient to His Word. What's that what's that adage? The only ability God looks for is availability. Just make yourself available. Now stop and think about this Joseph, this so-called secret disciple. This good and just man. You know what he did? Took courage. Took courage. You know, when he did this, he was marked by his peers, wasn't he? He identified with this Jesus. He was a marked man. He backed his dissension concerning what this religious ruling body did by his decision to go to Pilate himself and beg for the body. That takes courage. What does First uh, John say? Perfect love casteth out fear. So you know what this tells me about Joseph? He loved Jesus as much as those women who followed him from Galilee. And he proved his love by taking care of his body. By taking care of his body. And you know what I've seen time and time again? What I've seen time and time again, it's the quiet, unobtrusive saints that seem to stand in the gap when needed. Now, you'd think it would be the braggart that would stand. No, it's always the, the folks who are quiet. These are the ones who often show up when there's a call out. We need someone here. We need someone there. The, the quiet ones are usually the ones who sacrifice the most and say the least about it. You get those loud mouths, if they sacrifice a little bit, boy, you would think that they gave their right leg and arm over it. Am I right? And there are folks who are quiet. We would sometimes call them timid. But you know what? They do more behind the scenes than the braggart does who desires the limelight. Personally, I'm grateful for the Josephs and Josephines in the church 
who just quietly go about serving God, filling the gaps, taking care of the needs, ministering to the people, and they don't make a big fanfare about it. They just get the job done. That's what we need. That's what we need. These folks don't covet the praise, but they love the Lord. And they prove it in their service. In their service. And one more brief practical application about these acquaintances and these women who stood afar off anticipating what was going to happen next you know what are we going to do we don't want to be that (laughs) we don't want to be like that we don't want to stand around anticipating what will happen next because we know what's going to happen next don't we One of these days we're going to hear the shout of the archangel and we're going to be out of here. And you know what follows? Yeah, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period. We know what's going to happen next, so we don't want to stand there in anticipation. We want to be like a Joseph of Arimathea and we want to start taking care of business, start doing things, start sharing the gospel, start you know, do something for the Lord now is the time to do something for the Lord because once you're raptured, that's it your opportunity is going to be gone my opportunity is going to be gone and God has called all of us to, to, to service in some way and somehow, we've all been gifted in some way and somehow by the Holy Spirit of God, put that gift to work Put that gift to work and do something. Tell somebody. Because one of these days, we're going to be with him. And we're going to stand before him. And we're going to receive reward or loss. So now is the time to start doing something. Now is the time to do something. Don't just stand there anticipating. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We pray, Father in heaven, that you would bless it to our hearts. Pray, Father in heaven, that we would be like Joseph and we would do something. Yeah, some of us are timid, some of us are shy, some of us are quiet. But in the power of your spirit, there's nothing that we can't do. For we can do all things through Christ, which strengthen us. Pray, Father in heaven, that you would help us, Lord, uh, to be motivated by love uh, so that we would um, just uh, share uh, your love with others. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.